Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Let's Chat Healthcare podcast. In this episode, I'm speaking with Erin. She was thrown into the healthcare world when her mom was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Erin talks about what she learned and how she was impacted by these life-changing experiences. And I think that there's a lot to learn from what she has to say. I think to fully understand the healthcare system, we should hear directly from those who are impacted by it, healthcare workers, but also patients. Thank you again to Erin for being willing to come on the podcast and talk about something so intimate and personal. Also, just so you know, Erin's episode is a two-part episode, and this is part one. Don't forget to subscribe to be notified when new episodes are released, and find us on social media at Let's Chat Healthcare. All right, here's Erin to share her story. Hi, Erin. Thanks for joining me today. Hi. Glad to be here. I am so thankful that you were willing to come on and share your story with us because I think your story is really unique and it's definitely, there's a lot there to unpack and learn from. So thank you. Yeah. Well, I hope it's helpful in some way. It certainly is unique. <laughs> mm-hmm. Can we start with a little bit about you, like who you are or where you're from and maybe what you do? Sure. Um, I currently live in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I uh, was born and raised here, um, but I've spent some time on the West Coast, um, did my undergraduate work out in California. And then uh, seven years ago this month, I got a job as a flight attendant with Delta Airlines and um, have relocated a bunch to work in different cities and from Boston is where I started and then Salt Lake City and was based in Los Angeles for a time. But now I'm back in Detroit uh, since my marriage to my current husband back in 2016. Well, congratulations on your work anniversary. Thank you. Yeah, I can't believe I know it's such a cliche, but time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> so you have been through a lot. You've seen a lot. You've learned a lot. Why don't we just start from the beginning and kind of talk about your story, yeah. like where it started for you? Yeah. So I think that um, my like big <laughs> jump into my medical journey really began in 2016 when my mom was uh, suddenly diagnosed with very late stage ovarian cancer. And we spent just under six weeks in the hospital with her um, before taking her home on hospice, uh, where she passed away just over a week later. But those six weeks really were a massive eye opener into a world I had heard of, um, but very, I just didn't understand. Mm -hmm. um, I could see that it was difficult and tiring um, and scary, but I really don't think you can comprehend the level of just knowledge until you're kind of thrown into it in some way, shape, or form. And we were definitely <laughs> thrown into that. I think actually my first interaction with you was as my mom's nurse or 
Um, yeah, I was the nurse tech there. So it was kind of the like nurse tech at that a time. nurse aide. Yes. And I made the connection to Sijin. And- mm-hmm. Sijin is my husband and then his family, knew your um, family. So yeah, and that I can't even believe this will be the five-year anniversary um, of her passing. It really... So I guess time flies even when you're not having fun. Um, But those weeks in the hospital were both like the most difficult weeks I've been through and also like some of the fondest memories. And I think as a human, I didn't understand that you could be devastated and utterly like kind of joyful and peaceful at the same time um, until we went through this medical trial with my mom. That blending Mm. of bitter and sweet was just something that I didn't know could happen. And it was a really hard like juxtaposition to kind of swallow and work through. So yeah, that was just kind of how I would define that time of learning the medical lingo um, and everything that cancer is and the things that it isn't. And then just accepting that reality, attempting to find the good in it, even though, you know, it was really, it was terminal for my mom from the beginning. Um, But I feel like the nurses um, on that floor and even the doctors, but really Mm -hmm. the nurses are there so much more than what you see. You know, Mm -hmm. you just see they're they're kind of the face of your medical journey. They're kind of the ones that are always at the bedside with you and giving the medications and helping you through things. Yes. Similar to a flight attendant. I get blamed you know, mm-hmm. for the weather, I get blamed for the bumpy rides, I get blamed for, <laughs> you know, delays and baggage and all this stuff. I'm the face of Delta and I kind of consider like nurses to be the face of healthcare. People can view nurses as the ones in control of everything and the ones calling all the shots because they're the ones at the bedside. But a lot of times, like you were saying with flight attendants, Nurses don't have control over the things that are impacting the care. Right. It's a really interesting position to be in. Yeah. But the nursing staff that we, you know, worked with, um, with my mom, were just, they were everything to us um, and just brought us so much, like, well, knowledge, like, on a level that we could understand, um, kind of translating some of the diagnoses and um, the things that were going to take place, but also just maybe like a piece is the word I'm looking for. Like you're not the only one who's been here and not understood and made it to the other side of this. And like, we're going to help kind of bridge that gap and Mm -hmm. help you in this massive learning curve. So my mom was diagnosed on the 13th of April and um, on the 19th of April, she had surgery. So she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. So 
the next step was kind of biopsies and surgery to figure out, like they knew it was widespread, but just how widespread. Mm -hmm. Um, And on the 19th, she had um, a hysterectomy um, that didn't end up taking as long as what we thought because the cancer ended up being so very extensive. Mm -hmm. And that night after surgery, I remember the doctor came into the room where we were waiting to hear, you know, what was the outcome and why was the surgery so quick? You know, we were prepped for nine, 10 hours and he was done after maybe four. And and this was just a week after you guys had found out about the cancer. So. This is a week after, yes. Um, he walked in and the first thing he said was unfortunately. Mm. And um, after that, like, I don't even know what else was said. Mm. And I know that my dad and my sister felt similar in that we just didn't, after that, unfortunately came out of his mouth. Um, like the kind of just everything you'd imagine, tears, um, hands and face, like can't, comprehend, just shaking. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't even know. I think the conversation went on for maybe 10 or 15 more minutes trying to explain to us, you know, what he saw and how it was just too much. But, you know, I don't think it was until the next couple of days that we fully kind of swallowed that reality that it was too much, um, too much cancer to do anything you know, anything Mm. more for her. And that's, again, coming back to um, those nurses who are kind of that face of our journey for us, you know, walking us through, this is what he said, this is what that means. In the case of your mom, like, this is what that's going to look like. And we're just going to take it, you know, kind of day by day. Um, So less than 10 days after diagnosis, we realized she wasn't going to live much longer and they were advising, you know, hospice or, you know, do you want to stay in the hospital and kind of be here on hospice or go home? And um, it was at that point, I was just engaged to my husband that we kind of started thinking about a wedding. at the very minimum, I wanted a wedding dress and a picture with my mom. And that just flowered into, we're getting married in three days. Um, And then all this time realizing that we hadn't even talked to my mom yet. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. So then it was like, pause, like, let's make sure this is something, you know, she just left the ICU and I remember walking into her room with my dad and my husband, and I don't even know who else was there, maybe an aunt or an uncle, and just saying like, mom, we're talking about getting married and I really want you here. Do you think that would be a good idea? And she just kept saying like, wonderful, that would be wonderful. And was just kind of like overwhelmed and happy Mm, with us. And that just, you know, gave us room to breathe and something to celebrate. 
in the midst of, you know, her literally dying. This makes me think about earlier when we were talking about experiencing the two feelings at the same time. And your mom was probably feeling that too, knowing her situation, knowing her diagnosis, but also feeling like her daughter is about to get married. So this was like the height of those emotions. Um, you know, literally on my wedding day, which is, you know, easily one of the happiest days of your life. You know, I walked into my mom's room before the ceremony to get dressed and, you know, just kind of had a breakdown moment. Like she's in a hospital bed, you know, and they've done their very best to make her look, you know, like the mother of the bride, but there's, you know, still feeding tubes and IV tubes and drains. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think they maybe even just like pinned the dress onto her. Like it wasn't even fully a situation where she could get dressed and laid a scarf on top of her, you know, around her neck. And so whilst it's supposed to be, you know, this amazing, beautiful day, and it is, I'm also like at every moment glancing at my mother, realizing this might be my last day with her. Or if it's not, it's the second to the last or the third Mm -hmm. to the last. And what else can I say or do, you know, to like say goodbye, but also Mm -hmm. like say I do to my husband in this new chapter and looking back still like the best day, um, even though it was filled with these crazy, you know, mountaintop highs and then like valley, valley lows. It just, that um, acceptance of being between both and at both in the same day or within the same hour um, really kind of set me up for the next five years, which have been filled with um, the same sorts of very high highs and very low lows as far as like our medical journey is concerned. And being able to accept that as a loved one and as a patient that you'll experience um, both joy and horrific sorrow in the same moment Um or within the same minute is, I don't know, it's something that your mind really has to work through and accept in order to, for me, move successfully through any sort of medical hardship. Um, And that's something I hadn't experienced really before, certainly that journey with my mom, but definitely my wedding day. Just let it be kind of what it is and not try to change it or morph it into something different. Your mom is dying and you're getting married and everything is going to be okay. Like, mm. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. I, It seems like an abrupt entrance into the medical field, but then it kind of became a part of your life for the next mm-hmm. couple of years. Can you kind of talk about what happened next? Yeah. So... After losing my mom and walking through, you know, those almost seven weeks of, you know, medical fire and (laughs) indoctrination, I thought I was the expert because 
I had been there. I had gotten married in the midst of it. And, you know, well, I'll grieve her loss for the rest of my life. You know, I definitely felt like as a family and just as an individual, like I conquered that and like I can do anything. (laughs) Um, All that happened and now you're here. Yeah. Um, And in a good way, like I think that needs to be celebrated. Anyone who's made it through any sort of journey, but especially a medical one, like um, it's just a drain on you and your life and your family. And to celebrate the fact that, you know, even though a life was lost, like we did learn something and we survived that, um, you know, that was something that needed to be acknowledged. Mm -hmm. So I fully, in my mind, I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to get cancer and I'm going to do this well because I watched my mom do it and I survived it as her caregiver. Um, I didn't have that in my mind, but somewhere in the subconscious, I think I thought I could handle being the patient then, if I could handle being the caregiver. And that was put to the test. In 2018, I remember in January having a cold and um, actually calling in sick to work. Like a couple weeks later, Having gone back to work, I was looking in the mirror of my condo and my husband was home with me. And I was like, does my neck look big? And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, your neck is fine. And I was like, no, I'm not being like extra. I just feel like this, you know, left side of my neck looks different. And when I feel it, like it feels different. And he is like, I think you're fine. Like, I think it's nothing, you know, just not dismissing me per se, but just like not concerned. Mm. And I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. well, you know, typically in our relationship, I am the one to kind of overreact. So I'll just take a minute and leave it. A month passed and I was like, no, this is, this is bigger. It's painful to me to like touch it and kind of turn my neck. Whereas Mm -hmm. before I hadn't really struggled with you know, any more neck pain than the other flight attendant who carries a bag around an airport for hours and hours and then, you know, lifts that same bag into an overhead bin two to three times a day. So Mm -hmm. I went into my PCP's office and I have a really good long-standing relationship with my PCP. Mm. And I guess I'll pause and put a plug in here. That relationship has been a massive not just blessing, but like all-encompassing, helpful, something I didn't realize I needed, Mm -hmm. um, but I had, and I'm really thankful I did, you know, that I was consistent with all of those kind of annoying yearly physicals and then well-women checks. Um, Because when I really needed it, even though I didn't know I needed her, she was there for me. And if I had to give any advice, it would be find a good doctor, PCP, which stands for primary care provider. Primary care provider. Yeah, develop that relationship, whatever it takes, get them in your corner because you just never know when you're going to need that referral. And if you don't have a trust already built up, it's going to be that much harder. You can't just go see a cancer doctor. 
That's not something mm. that happens. You just can't go see a dermatologist. You need referrals to all these people. The fact that I already had that long-standing relationship with my PCP was instrumental in someone listening to me and believing me um, when I said, this isn't normal for my body. And she immediately jumped on that train and said, great, let's get you the diagnostic test that you need so that we can figure out what this is. Mm. So she did, and I had an ultrasound of my neck um, because that's Sorry, I don't even know if I said that, but I was saying that my neck looked bigger in the left side of my neck specifically was causing me pain. And um, so I had an ultrasound within a week and then heard back that day, your ultrasound came back abnormal. You know, we need to send you to um, like a neck kind of specialist. At this point, we weren't even talking about oncology. We were just talking about a general surgeon who specialized in that area because there was clearly something in my neck that wasn't normal growth. So you feel something in your neck, you get the ultrasound, you get notified that it's abnormal. Like, how are you feeling in this moment? Were you even thinking that it might be cancerous? Were you even thinking that word? Like, how are you no. feeling? Not really. I didn't have any sort of idea when they said abnormal. I was kind of like, okay. When they said surgeon, then I started to be like, well, in my mind, I jumped to tumor. And then because of my past experience, I jumped to malignant tumor. But it really wasn't until I met with the surgeon that I started to kind of piece together this you know, they're going to biopsy it. And then we're obviously hoping for benign. And again, at that time, these words like benign and malignant, I was still getting confused. Do I want it mm. to be benign or do I want it to be malignant? Like words that were just being used, like they were commonplace in my vocabulary mm. and having to confirm with my husband or my parent or whoever you know, what is it that I'm looking for again? So I had maybe one appointment with this general surgeon. Um, and then he wanted to do these biopsies. And it was kind of at that point for me where I began to be a bit triggered mentally by terms like biopsies and um, understanding you know, versus malignant. But Kind of up until this point, which was probably like maybe a month of, you know, figuring out what to do next and what's going on before I realized that, you know, maybe this was a bit more serious than just a swollen lymph node or something that had been caused by, you know, my cold or whatever it was that I had experienced back in January. So I had the biopsy and maybe... A couple days later, I got a phone call saying it was benign, you know, from the nurse, and that was really good news. Um, but, you know, doctor, we'll see you. Let's get that scheduled and we can talk about next steps. So I met with that doctor, and um, he said, you know, the biopsy showed that it was benign, and we had been thinking maybe it had grown from your thyroid and that it was, you know, a tumor associated with thyroid cancer. But biopsy shows it's not. 
However, like it is a tumor in your neck that shouldn't be there. So it's up to you. Do you want to watch and wait um, or do you want to operate and take it out? That's such a big decision to make. I don't think I've ever been a watch and wait person. I am the opposite of patient. Um, so I was like, cut me open. Like I, <laughs> I would say the I don't want to watch and wait. So we scheduled surgery and essentially there was a plan A and a plan B and plan A was just to take the tumor out, send it to pathology while I was on the table. And if it came back again, benign, you know, we'll close you up and be done. And if it came back malignant, you know, we'd open you up further and most likely it would be thyroid cancer and we'd remove either part of or all of your thyroid. And at this point, like I had no idea what a thyroid was either. I was like, heard of such a thing, <laughs> wouldn't know what it looks like, what it does, or that I had been experiencing um, low thyroid problems um, for, you know, probably a couple years um, and just gone untreated because I didn't put the symptoms together. So on the operating table, turns out it is cancer. Oh I wake gosh. up to no thyroid, no more tumors. Um, I think it was about a four or five hour surgery. And there were other lymph nodes that he said were, you know, at this point had been cancerous as well. I think it was like 26. In wow. fact, it was a lot yeah. of lymph nodes that he removed. Um, and of the 26, maybe 22 or 23 were cancerous that the cancer had been growing for a while. And, you know, they hoped that they'd gotten it all. And we will, in a couple months, reassess and probably do a standard treatment for thyroid cancer, which was a radioactive iodine treatment. Because normally thyroid cancer is cured by surgery. And if not, you would do this iodine treatment um, because typically thyroids um, and thyroid cancer eats up iodine. So they would kind of radiate it through that form of um, iodine. I'm just thinking about how when you yeah. said you weren't a watch and wait person and yeah. I myself am not either. And just to be told like, let's watch and wait a few months, like yeah. that would have been a lot for me. Right. Even just waiting for surgery and waiting for these biopsies and then the result, you know, so slow. It feels, it feels so slow. Um, but I could recognize looking back, you know, that I had good physicians in my corner who were, you know, helping the process along. Um, but it does feel endless and it feels like I waited 10 months <laughs> to hear if this was cancerous and then, you know, to receive the news that it wasn't only to wake up on, you know, my hospital bed after an operation to be told by my husband that, no, you do have cancer. That back and forth. Uh. So that my summer, uh, so my surgery ended up being in May, I believe. And that summer was just really difficult while we waited um, to see, you know, if the surgery was successful and if things were going to grow back. And I guess my, the radiation treatment was kind of continued to be postponed because I ended up having a lot of um, lymphatic drainage 
again, another season of just waiting for this drainage situation to work itself out so that I could get the treatment that I needed to kill off, you know, the cancer that we knew remained in my body. But I did eventually receive the treatment. I did that. And then it must have been early September that I was given an all clear. So yeah, we got that good news um, in September. Um, we assumed they were accurate in giving me this no signs of disease statement or diagnosis or whatever. And we went on our merry way and had a farewell to cancer party. And, you know, I went back to work and we went back to our lives pre-cancer, kind of normal. And um, unfortunately in 2019, so maybe five months later, a lot of my same hypothyroid or slow thyroid problems returned. And mm. we sought out my same primary care physician and she ran some initial labs and was like, you really need a specialist. Mm. So we began the search for someone. <clears throat> and thankfully, um, we did find a specialist within the state, um, but we did have to drive to the University of Michigan, which is about two and a half hours from us, where we met with an oncological surgeon um, who specialized in thyroid cancer. And um, this woman, um, is, was amazing. Um, but she is your stereotypical God complex surgeon mm. with little to no bedside manner. Mm -hmm. And at this point in my life, I lost my mom. I had been diagnosed with cancer. I'd been told I was cancer free only to hear that I wasn't. This surgeon was like, a slap in the face. Like, mm. but I knew I needed her um, because I knew I needed a specialist, but just a really hard person for me to deal with. Um, I remember distinctly after one appointment, my husband's a very like statistics and he wants the numbers and he wants to see your track record and he's very investigative. And if you pass his tests, he will go with you regardless <laughs> of how you treat him um, and or how you treat me, I guess, in this scenario. And he said to me, you have friends to take you out for coffee. You do not need this surgeon to take you out for coffee. You need her to cut you open and to get this cancer out. And I was like, but why can't she just be nice? Like, <laughs> I was just desperate at this point for someone to validate that even though I had done everything right and I had trusted the doctors and I had done what they'd said and I'd had a couple setbacks that were out of my control, but I got back up and I conquered it after having conquered, you know, watching my mother die mm -hmm. to have this doctor give me no sympathy was so hard for me. Like she had none. And because I didn't live in that area and I wasn't familiar with her nursing staff, and this was a massive hospital compared to what I was used to. 
you know, there were no real, uh, like that, that presence of those nurses that I referred to in my mom's care. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't have that here because I just wasn't there as frequently. Mm -hmm. And there were just so many of them. I didn't get to know any of them. And the ones that I did get to know were just kind of like, you just need to get over this doctor. Like she is great. You want her, you need her just like, you know, but that spring or whatever winter springtime for me, that was probably the hardest thing that I had to work through. Yeah, it was really difficult. And I think that just kind of comes back to, we need doctors and we need medical professionals who know what they're doing and we need to trust their expertise, but we also need to know when we need more or when we need to ask more questions. And that's something kind of like advocating for myself that I just kind of learned like very quickly that I needed to be willing to do that for myself and, um, you know, get the care that I need and not just be placed into this like, well, all my other patients go back to work. So you should be able to go back to work after a week. Like that wasn't going to, if that's not how I'm recovering, then I need you to listen to me. And if you would like for me to come and show you that I'm not able to do this, then I'm going to do that. Because your voice as a doctor is important and it's respected because of the study that you've put in and the time and the money that you've paid to be in the position that you are. Um, but being that I'm paying you, my voice needs to also be respected in the same way that they demanded of us, right? They show us that they deserve this respect by doing appropriate things and by cutting precisely and by being successful um, in their treatments they're demanding our respect. But as patients, we also have a right to be like, I'm going to demand the same respect back. Like my name is Aaron Nelson Williams and I'm not just patient number, you know, 523. Like this is my name and this is what I need. And this is what I know and what I've learned from experience. Um, and, you know, kind of fighting for yourself. And that's a really exhausting role to take on when you're also trying to fight cancer. Um, but it is so necessary. And I think really like change the trajectory of my care, um, because it would have been really easy for me to just get lost into this mess of like numbers. Thank you again to Erin for coming on and sharing her experience in the healthcare world with us. As you can tell, she has learned a lot, and it doesn't end here. Make sure to check out part two of Erin's episode. Here's a little preview. After my second surgery um, and after the recovery, my case was brought before like a panel of doctors, I guess, um, in part one, I love how she talked about how to advocate for yourself and for your family and how to respect those in the medical field, but also respect yourself. Subscribe to the podcast to be notified when new episodes are released and find us on social media at Let's Chat Healthcare. Thanks again for listening. My name is Laura, and I'll see you next time on the Let's Chat Healthcare podcast.